Welcome to Straight Edge, the podcast. My name is Clive Allwright, and along with my amazing guests and co-hosts, we're going to be having some brutally honest and sometimes confronting conversations around all things of addictive behavior. Now, as it happens, I've been a hairdresser for 37 years, and during my career, I've met many people just like me that have also struggled in the many different areas of addiction. So our main focus of this podcast is to chat with as many people as possible from the hairdressing, barbering, and media industries, along with some pretty smart people that work in the fields of addiction to get a deeper understanding of why so many of us struggle with the balance of family, careers, health, and the day-to-day pressures of life. So if this sounds like an area you'd like to dive deeper into, make a cup of tea, sit back, and listen to Straight Edge, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Straight Edge, the podcast. My name's Clive, your host for today, and I'm also joined, we're not in the studio today, we are doing our first online interview, which is uh, kind of terrifying, uh, also exciting, with my co-hostess, with the mostest Derbyshire accent I've ever heard. Please welcome Amy. <laughs> How are you today, Amy? I'm all right, my love. But also, it's Yorkshire, just so you know, not Derbyshire. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> see this. I need to listen to that episode again. I'm so sorry. Yorkshire. She's a Yorkshire lass. I'm Yorkshire. Um, I love it. I love it. Well, this is exciting. We are joined by a, a recent friend of mine that I've met in the last six months who is um, is an incredible inspiration to me. Uh, his name's Nick, and he has just clocked up six months have been have decided to not to drink and being sober and I thought it'd be a great opportunity to chat to Nick tonight today or with us um because we had Andrew on last week who was awesome how good was Andrew so was good fantastic it, episode it was really great and it was such a great opportunity for us to listen to another pathway of of him you know going down the medical route of stopping drinking so I was chatting to Nick during the week and I said to him, you know, we're doing the podcast. And uh, I thought, uh, and he said to me, I'd love to come on and have a chat. And I said, well, it'd be really great because one of the things I want to share with you is that, I mean, as you know, I've been sober for four years, three months. And if I was to get sober, I honestly believe if I was to get sober at the age of 27, there would have been so many distractions for me. There would have been so many parties and bits and pieces that I'm pretty sure that I would have fallen off the wagon. There would have been too much temptation for me. And I think, by watching Nick go on his journey over the last six months. And he's just, I've noticed a massive change. Welcome to the show, Nick. How are you, my friend? I'm really well. Um, it's really great to be here. And thanks so much for having me. It's week. an absolute pleasure, my friend. You know, you are, and I mean it, mate, you are a true inspiration to me because, you know, we've had some, you know, some meals and some dinners and lots of coffees out together and listening to your story, you and which I can't wait for you to share, um, is, you know, there's been family get-togethers there's been nights out which as what you would do as a 27 year old and I'm sure that there's people listening to this podcast which are similar to your age that are like well how am I going to stop drinking at my age because Clive's an old man he can you know he's had a good run of it for 40 years at the cruise or whatever but I think you've got a lot of good things to share so let's start let's start off at the beginning mate so you know what what was it like and when did all this when did it all start Sure. What was it like? When did it all start? So um, I was born and raised in Sydney. Um, I grew up in a pretty well-to-do household um, in which uh, drinking wasn't a big issue, um, 
but members of my family had had issues in the pre in the past with drugs and alcohol so it was kind of like the boogeyman in the background um which was it which was interesting because it it, it shaped my view of things of well of just binging as sort of very naughty and and with it came a lot of guilt and shame but you know i went to a catholic school and i guess that kind of gave me even more guilt and shame but um to the point uh i started drinking around 17 18 it started off fun but i was never able to drink in a orderly fashion i would always be the party boy i would always be leading the charge i always had a bit of money or at least i thought i did and so it was basically pedal to the metal. So as a, as a young 18, 17 year old does in Sydney, you go and get um, plastered as, as, as often as you can and, and wake up feeling great. Gradually uh, sort of, I was able to consume more and more alcohol. And I tended to assume that role um, in my social circles as the party boy. And what that then, meant was that people would turn to me for a fun night and a good time and it I believed it to be my identity at the time and very quickly I got associated with drugs um, as well um, because drugs made drinking more fun so whether it was cocaine MDMA um, at the time yeah whatever I could wherever I could buy I, I would do and that enabled me to continue my drinking um, and, you know, it was fine at the time. There was no issues. I was young and, you know, and that's what people put it down to. I couldn't and I wouldn't at the time have described myself as a problem drinker. I just thought I was just a young Sydney larrikin running around having fun. So that was what it was like at the start, sort of 18, 19. I was just a bit of a party boy. And, you know, I always had a bit of coke on me. Like it was it was just sort of, I was the coke guy and people turned to me for that. That that then sort of consumed me for the next decade and the nights got bigger and the parties got harder. Um, you know, it became a once a week to a twice a week to a three times a week thing. And, you know, as I got, as I um, grew up and uh, I sort of associated towards people that I thought um, were good for me because they lived a similar lifestyle. And because of my family's relationship with drugs and alcohol, I kept it very secret from them. So I'd sort of bottled it all up and then go explode on the weekend. I'd bottle it up and I'd explode on the weekend. Rinse and repeat for years and years on end. I, I'd, I'd say it was controlled until the age of 24. But towards sort of the back end of 2021, I really put the pedal to the metal and realised or came to the realisation that I just couldn't stop and it was fucking awesome. And it had, um, at the time... Um, my judgment was continuing to become worse and worse. My faculties were slowly stuttering and I would describe it um, as my brain sort of beginning to rot in the sense that I was just becoming uh, so consumed by the party and binge lifestyle that it was my main priority. And then to that extent, everything else came secondary. So personal relationships, financial health, physical health, um, professional development. I, that, I couldn't give a fuck about any of that stuff. It was just, 
keep the party going because I was the party guy and everyone turned to me for a good night out. And what that personality led me to believe was that I was well liked because I could party yeah. and that my identity was tethered to that, uh, which was, um, you know, that's just what it was. Um, and that was the hole I chose and what I went down. Was you working throughout this whole time? Did you have a job when you were? I did. Consumed? I didn't do it very well. Um, I had employment issues um, and because I, you know, I, I, uh, I was always looking for a better job and always looking to do this and that. And I, you know, I was doing really well, I was, you know, somehow getting better, but then getting caught out for not performing. So it was like Tarzan swinging from vine to vine. And I probably use that analogy a lot. You know, whenever something tricky came up, I seemed to, um, uh, like sort of wriggle my way out of it. So look, it was okay. You know, it, while it was deeply problematic um, on the surface level, oh, he's just having a bad run or he's just, he's just, he's not in form or something like that. But um, the reality was I couldn't control my drinking. Um, and what that looked like is that if I had one drink, I didn't know how many I'd have after that. And it became a certainty that every time I drank thereafter, it would be a big night, which involved drugs, alcohol, and no sleep. Towards the back end of my party, um, I was introduced to prescription medication as a means to soften the, the blow. I would be able to stay up to four in the morning, five in the morning, um, partying and eat a bunch of Valium and go to work and feel okay. Uh, which is so like dangerous. Shit. Yeah, it I, it was so dangerous, and I'm only wow. realizing that now. But I was um, heavily uh, dependent on Valium to just function. Um, what and, is Valium? What is Valium for? Uh, someone yesterday described it to me as alcohol in a pill. It's an antidepressant, and it just the way I felt when I took it is was that I was a little bit drunk in a nice warm bath and everything was nice and the world was mellow and beautiful. I became, yeah, really, I, I got very into that because what it allowed me to do, uh, I could, you know, the, the drinking allowed me to, to, to have fun. The cocaine allowed me to keep partying and the Valiant gave me a soft bed. Um, and so it was this awful cycle of, you know, I was, I, um, I was numb. It allowed me to be perfectly numb to the consequences of my actions. And um, I stopped caring. Um, pretty quickly towards the end of my drinking, my life was falling apart really fast and really hard. I was in a wonderful relationship with a woman I really still respect and who um, I have the most utmost sort of adoration for and, um, uh, and respect for. Um, but I, you know, because I was so rotten from the inside, I was I had lost all sensible judgment and began to make a lot of stupid decisions. So I was treating um, her like crap. I was, you know, was in a very dire personal relationship with my family. Um, I, you know, was missing work because I was just still on a bender or hungover. And I, um, I was about 10 kilos heavier, you know, I was having all these health problems, you know, and I needed a medical solution to them all. 
see a sleep specialist, I'd see a psychiatrist, I'd see a dietitian. Everything else was, it was a problem that the medical community needed to fix. And it wasn't up to me to fix. I can remember one funny story is that I went to see a dietitian once because I was getting this weight. I'm like, what's going on here? And the person said, you gave me a new diet and said, you're allowed 14 standard drinks a week. My mind said, that's 14 beers. That's a good night out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I just kept hearing, I kept reassuring myself of the wrong message because my ego was so tethered to being the party boy and the fun guy that I couldn't see a life outside of the one I was living. So yeah, you know, it's, um, things got very, very ugly, very fast. And I, um, was having a number of health issues relating to my abuse of drugs, alcohol, and prescription medication. And it was said to me in no uncertain terms, if, if you continue to on this route, you won't be, you won't make 30. Um, I was, uh, probably suicidal. Um, I would, uh, get home from a massive night out, take a bunch of medication and I wasn't doing it with the intent of ending my life, but if I woke, I, I didn't care if I died. And when I did wake up, it was like, I was full of Valium. So I'm like, oh, oh well, that was fun, wasn't it? Um, and it just kept telling me the lie over and over and over again. I wanted to let you go, but there's a lot of things going around in my head. So yeah, I'm same. putting this, I'm picturing the scene, right? So you're doing lots of drugs, lots of alcohol. I take it you're not being very honest with your GP at this point. Um, because I, I guess, I mean, I've done this. How did you get this Valium? Was it the, like, I'm not coping with work and I need Valium? Was that was that the route you went down? Was it lying to uh, like doctor shopping? Because I was taking a lot of drugs, I presented as someone anxious and just fucked up. And um, yeah. yeah, I just, I just, and you know, I played the absolute fiddle to the doctor. Um, and when I'd run out or when I'd gone through it earlier, I'd say, oh, doctor, I had a house party and someone read my medicine tablet. <laughs> he said, I've had someone do that to me too. Hey, have some more. Here, have some more. Yeah, um, wow. It's crazy, isn't it? It's, it is crazy to think that, you know, I mean, I, when you were talking about the Valium and Amy, when you said it, mm. I remember years ago, I was on a flight many, many years ago with my mate and his mum. And his mum was relatively quite old. And I was a really nervous flyer at the time. And I'd had a couple of drinks on the plane. And his mum said, oh, you should, I'll give you one of my tablets. They're called Mother's Little Helpers. Now, I didn't realise it at the time, but she was giving me Valium. And that was named as Mother's Little Helper back in the no day. No like, way. You know, yeah, if you oh had like, God. you know, a um, bit of depression or whatever after the pregnancy or whatever, then, then that's what they would give to you. So the Valium and the cocaine is a real, and, and the alcohol, is a crazy mixture. Like I have heard stories of people taking Valium after a night out and just never waking up. Like you just, you basically put your heart to sleep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I had an Apple watch and it tells you your heart rate during your sleep. And I kept getting these notifications saying dangerously low heart rate. If this persists, see a doctor. And I just thought it was like, I know. And I, because I was exercising a lot, I chalked it up to, um, you're really fit. Your heart rate goes very low. <laughs> wow. Yeah. My goodness. Isn't that crazy? The, the lies that yeah. we tell ourselves, you know, just to keep yourself going. Wow. Yeah. That's mad. I wanted um, to ask you before you move on as well, you mentioned a lot about your kind of, you know, relationship with your family. 
Um, and, you know, because often, uh, you know, we can only ever speak for our own journey, can't we? But a lot of mine, same as you, very, I can relate to everything you said about, you know, being the party person, the one that entertained everybody. It's like, oh, you know, you kind of become that. Um, but when I went through certain issues in my life, it actually became more of a lonely experience for me. Um, like you said, you know, not not telling anyone, it, you kind of hide it in a little bit. So I just wondered when you mentioned like with your family and was it a religious thing that they, do they not drink or what you mentioned their, their relationship with alcohol? Like what, what did that look like when you were growing up then? It's a really good question. They, they drank I just in a healthy way. I, I think I, um, you know, they just getting drunk wasn't something that mom and dad really did. Um, maybe I'd seen them hung over once or twice or I'd seen them drunk, but you know, my, um, my, my dad was professional. He, uh, he had his own business, um, worked in the city and, you know, he didn't have much tolerance for that sort of behavior. I it was what I thought at the time. And, they they probably did drink a little bit, you know. They would have a glass of wine within every night. It wasn't that bad, um, and I kind of thought their drinking was, or lack of drinking was, kind of boring to me. They didn't seem to have fun, and I'd always felt a little bit, well, not even a little bit. I'd always felt very insignificant and um, and kind of um, needy, and and so maybe my drinking or attachment to that was um, is it was in reaction to that. Did they, did they spot it? Did they know before it all kind of came to an end? I had told them that I had 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 that I had issues with you know drinking and that I but I didn't tell them about drugs because drugs are really taboo. But they could say, Nick, are you, are you okay? Like, come on, you can tell us. You must be on like. And they just kept hammering home. And then one night I came home back to their place. Um, I was like, yeah, look, I, I have a drug problem. I have a drug problem. And um, I would stay at their house for a couple of weeks and lay low. And then I'd go back out there and go another binge until the heat settled down. There was a lot of shame because they were seeing, I internalized a lot of shame because they seemed to not have an issue with it. And I seemed to always have an issue with it. And um, yeah, that was that was how it was for me. How bad did it get? And what made you, what made you, what drew you to the decision to eventually stop? I was basically losing um, a lot of my brain capacity because of what I was doing. I was not remembering things. I was um, emotionally numb. I had was going through a very bad breakup of my own doing. Um, and it, it's interesting when that breakup was occurring, I thought, fuck, this is great. I could just, I've got this person off my back, I'm free to just drink and drug us whenever I please. The last night, um, one of my last nights of, of you drinking and using, I took about 10 Valium and just didn't want to wake up. And um, so Whoa. I was quite sort of suicidal. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, I was just missing work and this and that. I then, I was on a bender. I was given the name and the contact details of a person um, who had had similar issues to myself. I organized to have a meeting with them on a Monday morning and, and a, a week from then. I was petrified about it. I didn't, I was so humiliated that I had this issue and that I had this dirty secret. 
planning to meet them, yada, yada, yada. And I went on a bender and I called them at 9am in the morning on a bender uh, on a Monday morning without sleep. And um, they told me their story, what happened to them, their experience, what they're doing now. And I cried. I haven't cried in a long time. Um, But, you know, the way they described their issues to me, they... They had all these big aspirations in life and had a big heart and they really wanted to do it all, but they just keep kept stumbling. And that was me. I, you know, I, I didn't have any bad intentions with my drinking and drugging, but I just kept kept stumbling and kept um I just couldn't kick it. I couldn't, I couldn't just that kick. repeat behavior. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Absolute rinse and repeat. Yeah. Oh, you know, I you know, I I couldn't do it this weekend because you know this came up or this person is in town or Da, 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 da. Well, you know, I was very stressed from work and so I had a big night or I had, or it'd be, I was able to successfully have one weekend off. And so I deserve a big weekend the following weekend. And it was just, yeah, a cycle of, um, yeah, just repeat, repetitive. So was it your it was, friends? You said that you mentioned that someone gave you a number, like were people spotting it now at this point? Yeah, people were spotting it at this point. Um, and I was pretty open that I was desperate for change and I it it actually so about six months before I finally stopped drinking um a family friend had uh his number had come across my desk at that and they had an issue so yeah it was becoming more and more obvious but people can point it out what they like the the person who needs to realize it is the one who has the problem realized I had a problem congratulations because that's a big thing yeah absolutely so many people just keep going and think that this is just a normal way to live and so yeah congratulations mate i mean especially as such a you know from where i'm sitting over here from a young age as well it's uh it's it's i'm i'm proud of you for stopping when you did so you know that moment of change obviously you were you're wanting it but what did it feel like that day did you know that that day that was it for you? I did, and I was in denial. I remember feeling like, so I went to sleep. I missed work that day, but the following day I was telling someone what I'd done, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I think I'm an alcoholic. And I was like, it was like the air suddenly went cold around me, and I was like, oh, no, really? This is like a, a amazing realisation, a scary realisation. And... Um, yeah, no, and that was it. That was shocked me. Um, I had then had a family holiday planned, uh, which was I was dreading because all the other girlfriends and boyfriends, members of the family were going. It was um, quite a significant event in that we were mourning the passing of um, a senior family member, and we were all going to get together and be friends, and be and be friendly, and and, and get and sort of reunite the family to move on. Um, but I'd fucked the trip up already by um, my girlfriend breaking up with me a week before that. Um, I was I just was so vitriolic about the event. I didn't didn't want to go. I made it known to everyone I didn't want to go. Once I was on that holiday, I don't think I was sober for more than ten minutes. Uh, I just drank and was rude and violent and vile. And um, the following, wow. I got home. That was about a week, ten days. Hmm holiday and then I, I went to a me uh i went to um i i met up with someone and sort of uh began my journey of sobriety from from there on in 
Congratulations. Yeah. Like Clive said, it's a massive accomplishment. And you, I guess that family holiday was the big final hurrah, right? Um, well, hopefully it was the big final hurrah. You're six months mm-hmm. without a drink. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to Amy before we came on and I said, you know, because I've been sober for four years, I kind of forgotten to a degree how hard that was. There was lots of, like, I, I think I spoke about it on my first episode. I went to bed very early at the beginning. Uh, I did go to meetings and bits and pieces um, to help me along the way. But that was when I was left alone was hard. I know you've done some big things in the last six months, like going to family events again. You've been out at big social occasions. You've even been clubbing. You've been clubbing, you know, you've even run into your ex, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So Uh, talk us us through that a little bit. What's that been like? Because I think anyone that's listening to this that's that's around your age will go, well, I don't know, I'm going to not, what do I do? Do I just stay in for the rest of my life? I'm not going to drink. Am I going to be boring? But you you are the token poster boy of, I don't drink (laughs) and I'm still loving life, right? So, yeah. Importantly, the... um, I've changed the way I look at myself um, when socialising. I need to be, I've learned to put barriers up around what I do and who I am when I'm socialising. It was very hard at first. And I, um, I had the thought that I would never be able to do this properly. But it was explained to me by someone who is sober as well that I'm, having to unlearn and relearn the rules of engagement for socialising. So it took me sort of two months to sort of understand what was going on, what sobriety and living sober kind of looked like, and that I didn't need to be afraid um, of anything when socialising. I've got a great group of friends who um, that I've turned to during this journey and they've been very supportive. Many of them are sober themselves. and we have fun together. Um, my life is so fun and busy and jam-packed. I have the like unlimited energy to go and, and to and to hang you know hang out and meet people and try new things and to continue to challenge myself. Um, I'm lucky that I've discovered meditation. I thought meditation was very woo-woo and um, hippie airy fairy and it's been enormously beneficial for my state of mind and sense of self but I can go to parties I can go to dinners I can go to big formal events I can go to work things and I don't have to drink and I don't have to feel guilty about my behavior when I do um, yeah. because every time without fail I would go to these things I would be the one leading the charge for the party I would be the one to want to get on drugs to continue the drinking and I was happy to have everyone back to my place whether my housemate liked it or not um my <laughs> party housemate. <laughs> yeah. my partying was the number one priority in my life um irrespective of my professional life personal life um relationships um yeah it was that was it it took, it took number one priority you know, my life is great now. I can socialize, I go out, I meet people, I keep myself busy, I keep my mind occupied because it's the moments that I am alone that do the damage. Um, and the moments that I am alone are the ones where my mind can think, oh, it wasn't all that bad. And it only takes me a second to for that sort of the ball to roll and sort of compound interest and think I've got it. 
And I realize, and I, and I remind myself that, you know, when I had one drink, I don't know how many I'm going to have after that. I had no control over that. Yeah, me and Clive were talking about that earlier today, weren't we, Clive, in terms of like, it's so easy for your brain to look back and see all the good times and all the fun times and um, and see it through rose tinted glasses and never remember what it felt like the next day you know that's the feeling that you forget very easily but the Mm -hmm. other stuff is like feels good or you had good memories about it so um you've mentioned meditation but what else have you been doing then over the last six months to kind of keep you on track I do for my sins I'm a cyclist so I hit my middle age midlife crisis and Put the lycra on. Uh, <laughs> you are not middle-aged, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I mean, I've, I've sort of acted in, in a manner of a middle-aged man. I, um, I'm very social. I love hanging out with my friends. Um, I, I um, you know, I've started doing a bit of community service work. So earlier this evening, I was uh, at a youth rehab explaining my story to um teenagers with issues with alcohol and drugs between the ages of 13 and and, and 18. Wow. Uh, I work incredibly hard. I'm dedicated to that. And I, um, I also make a lot of time for myself. I never was able to do that. I make a lot of time in my day to be it, to just identify what I'm feeling and understand it and, um, yeah, I guess cognitive mindfulness um, has been, you know, a big part of my practice too. And the weight's just lifted off my shoulders. There's no weight anymore. I don't, well, I don't I, wake up feeling petrified and scared. Yeah, hmm. two awful, two things way. there that come that jumped out of me. One that there's a rehab for thirteen year olds, and that terrifies me because my youngest is just about to turn thirteen. Hmm. Um, that's amazing that that facility is there and congratulations for going and and doing that that's incredible um now i can't stop this thought going around in my head you say that your life's wonderful it's brilliant bits and pieces i know that our lives are not wonderful and fantastic all the time what happens when you walk into a party because you say you're still going to a party and you see the guy that used to be you right and the guy that wants to lead the charge is at the party and he's like, come on, we're going to, we're going to fire this up. And cause I've been at parties recently and people go, Oh, do you not drink? Um, Oh, you, are you, are you okay? Yeah. And so how do you deal with that? And I'm, I can say, well, I'm an old man and I've drunk for 40 years and you know, trust me, you can't drink as much as me or, or what a, that stupid shit that I say, but whatever, it, whatever it is, but what do you say when you're 27? That's a good question. It was a hard one to deal with at first, but the way I look at it is my initial response is always, you won't like me when I drink at the moment. Oh, good answer. And the other one is that like um, the person that's got a problem or has an issue or brings up the issue with you um, most likely has an issue themselves. 100%. Um, they have an insecure, a feeling of insecurity, um, a feeling of guilt about their own actions, and they want to bring you down with them. Nowadays, the way I explain it is there's nothing more attractive than a man who's got his shit together, and I'm <laughs> on that path. Yeah. <laughs> I, love I love that. it. That's I love brilliant. it. Yeah, I used it's... to use the um, 
the thing early in recovery, I would say, uh, I've seen how much alcohol you've got and you don't have enough. So I better not start. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, we, we mentioned the parties and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I guess it's not always just parties and socializing that can be a trigger, right? We've mm. o- o- often we connect, you know, some kind of emotional journey with, you know, abusing any substance, whether it's drugs or alcohol or, you know, addicted to Netflix. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Often we use it as an escape or or whatever. So we can't stop our lives sometimes bringing those triggers back up or, or us being confronted with like a similar emotional issue. So did you learn to like identify what your triggers are? I did and I still am. Um, and again, they, they, my mind is um, a stinking one in that... Um, I know my emotional triggers and uh, and what they are. So um, when I feel stupid, I feel like I want to drink. When I feel like I've humiliated myself, I want to drink. Um, I still have dreams about um, it, about that. So in my dreams, I've humiliated myself and I wake up and think, fuck, like this is all just too hard. Um, you know, it, there are moments and of feeling, you know, um, frustrated, angry, betrayed, like in any life, like in any workplace, um, that make me want to to drink. But, you know, where I where I succeed in, in, in resisting that urge is just remembering, like, what it looks like. Um, I'm, you know, half my sobriety is driven by vanity at the moment. Um, I need to, I, need, <laughs> I like the way I look. <laughs> um, i love it you know in, in all seriousness it's not it's not just this wonderful easy ride I, I work really hard to manage my emotions and the first step is always identifying them and identifying that they're not in the driving seat of me um i am not how i feel i am not defined by how i feel how i look what job i am i am who i am um and my ego and the reaction it can, can you know its power over my uh, over me is um, is deadly and, and scary and I think is a very um, is out there to to want it wants me dead um, you know my ego drove me to alcohol and drugs and alcohol and drugs want me my relationship to them if I drink I'm I'm probably going to die. Um, and that was what, you know, medical professionals told me, um, that's what my Apple Watch was telling me, like, you know, things were, things were going downhill really fast. And you could have easily I, become a statistic of I just not waking up. Yeah, gosh. I could have been like that. And my life is so much easier now that I don't drink. Mm. I, it's just, I don't have that stress, the bullshit, the personal bickering. Um, I'm not at war with everyone around me. Um, and not, you know, riding up into fantasy land on a Friday afternoon with, you know, a couple of bags of Coke and a hundred beers in there. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that like your, um, your relationships and stuff have improved then through this journey? Definitely. Um, it's hard to measure of, improvement uh, other than, uh, I mean, I've had open communication with them, but they've also changed. So relationship with my parents who um have been very supportive 
Um, things have moved from secrecy to privacy. So I don't have to tell them everything. I am okay with myself and the path and I'm not needing their constant love and attention and needing their approval. Um, I have my own approval now for that. And what about your friendships? Because one of the big things, you know, that we hear a lot is that um, there's a lot of people that are so used to you being, you know, party boy or, you know, they know you as that, that actually sometimes those friendships move away from you. Do you know what I mean? And then sometimes you can feel at a loss or a bit sad during that process, but actually... I guess it kind of creates space for new people to come in, right? Is that what happened for you? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it was hard at first and I felt that I was so out of joint and that I would never have any friends and I, I didn't feel connected with anyone. Um, and that's probably um, the chemical effects of what I was doing to my body. Um, uh, but over time, as the fog lifted from my, my brain, um, you realize that the friendships you thought you had, you most likely didn't have. They weren't really friends. Um, those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. I've made a bunch of new friends and people want to be friends with someone that has their shit together that is kind and can actually be there for other people. I want, no one wants to be friends with the loudmouth coke yet. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's been... um. It's been amazing listening to uh, watching the changes in you over the last six months. And certainly of recent in the last few months, you know, you're like, I'm going to the races tomorrow. I'm going to go to the races, which those of in Sydney, the day at the races in Sydney is a big thing. The whole, the race course is right in the city. So you don't have to go far to find it. Every time you see an ad for the races, there's always someone with a glass of bubbles in their hand. You're going to parties, you're going out to clubs, you're doing all the things that a 27 year old, man with his shit together he's he's usually doing in sydney so i think the message here that i think is you've you've definitely got across is that your life didn't stop when you stopped drinking your life improved um mm. you you are definitely in a better mental state of mind uh the fact that you were taking 10 valium to go to sleep terrifies me um which is that's pretty Gosh. that's pretty hardcore you, you, yeah. you are very lucky you just didn't you'd be very lucky you woke up mate you really are especially you mix the drugs the cocaine and the alcohol that's that's a, a recipe for disaster anyway it creates yeah. a chemical in your brain which makes you do things it's almost like a, a psychedelic um that can trip you into a, a false reality as such mm -hmm. you know i often hear this saying you've loved yourself back to life mate and um you know, it's really, it's, you're definitely an inspiration. You can see it in you as well when you talk. It's really nice. I, I just feel like you have such like confidence now in yourself. Very clear, a lot of clarity and peace. Um, yeah, you can see it in your face. It's almost like it's like just such relief that it's all over, you know? Yeah, it is. It is utter relief. My mind, I would just describe it as a monkey rattling a cage. Like, there was so much going on. And I, I, I don't have to worry about, I don't have to have that monkey in the cage dictating my behaviour. Um, I'm just so at peace. Um, mm. I'm like a duck. My legs are paddling underneath, but the rest of my body is very graceful. Yeah. It's interesting, so. isn't it? I was thinking today, when you tell someone you're not drinking, the first, quite often people will say, well, how much were you drinking? Like, was yeah. you, and you go, well, I was drinking 
a bottle of scotch a night or whatever and people go oh i only have two glasses of wine so you they don't they they almost measure it and go well i'm not drinking like you have so i don't have a problem but you know when you've got a problem when you're just getting it i mean you you've explained very eloquently that you got to the point of breaking point especially the family holiday because i think the pattern is for me i've because i've done those 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 really traumatic events and then i've gone i've been a good boy for three months rebuilt Mm -hmm. a bit of trust I went out for a couple of quiet beers and then I'd just go back and then, you know, it would be probably another two years before another catastrophic event happened within my circle of friends. And by that stage, I was already planning my move to a different country. So it didn't really matter. (laughs) So to identify that you've got, you know, you were in where you were and to come out of it and do six months and get six months sober, I think is a massive thing for you to do. So congratulations, mate. Um, is there anything out there is there anything what any bits of advice that you think you want to share to someone of of, around your age that is like thinking of doing it or even yeah even someone who's like younger you know your younger self you know we've all been that age and we all started trialing out drinking and you know some people will spend their whole life just drinking once a week or once a month and it just never becomes part of their life you know but then there's those, the other kids that were probably like us that felt that we needed to substitute something and become the party person you know and it just gets out of control so yeah what advice would you give your younger self I guess I tried to look at the past in a, a different way now than than and I, I've got to remember to be very kind to myself and understand that um, I was an alcoholic and a drug addict and I was battling a disease. I was never going to win that one. And it's not weak to, to give up and it's not weak to ask for help. It's one of the most, you know, knowing your weaknesses and acting on them, acting to, to you know, and being able to pick them out and call them out as character defects is an incredibly difficult thing to do um, emotionally, uh, physically, socially. And because your ego will never allow it, but be kind to yourself, give yourself space and, and put your hand on your heart and ask, is this what I really want? Like, do I want to continue on this path? You can have, I, it was explained to me by the first person I spoke to who got sober. I can have anything I want in my life. I just can't drink. And that was like, really? Everything? And it was 100% true. All the fear and shame is gone from me. What what keeps you on track, Nick? Like I know because I've known you for a while. So I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is the listener out there is like, okay, so he decided to stop drinking, he rang someone, and then all of a sudden he's meditating and his life's brilliant, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a mentor. Um, I speak to him regularly. Um, I am just in, I am I speak to a lot of people who also are in the process of getting sober or getting sober. I, you know, I keep myself um, busy and I make space to be kind to myself and understand what goes on um, inside my brain. I do a little bit of work in um, hospitals and inpatient centers. Um, you know, I, 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 giving is living to me. The more I give away, the better I feel. And I'm really blessed that I have the time, the capacity and the energy to to help other people and to understand their issues. I can be someone else's reason to get sober. You know, someone can look at my story and think, 
well, if he can do it, I can do it. And and uh, and I and I look towards directing my efforts to making the world a better place, and you know, not bringing back that old dickhead Nick. So, <laughs> I, I think we we say this in every episode, and I think you've just nailed it in the way that the opposite to addiction is connection. What you've done, you've reached out, you've connected with people that are doing a similar thing, you've mm. followed them, you're, you're taking guidance from them. Yeah. You're now helping others in, you know, the the young adults in the rehab and doing, you know, the hospitals and institutions work. I think that's so admirable and, and, and something I wouldn't mind getting into myself, to be honest with you. Um, we can't thank you enough. Amy, is there anything you want to add before we, we sort of finish up? No, I think you've said it all, guys. I absolutely love that saying. I'm taking it with me. Giving is living. I just love that. I think that's going yeah. to have to be the title of this podcast. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> giving is living. And it's a, you know, Nick, I can't thank you enough, mate. I'm thank super you. proud of you. And it's a, it's a, you know, the, the time that I've got to know you, I've just watched you slowly change and evolve. And I cannot wait to see you continually grow. I think you're going to be an inspiration, not just to me, but to many people that listen to this podcast. And um, yeah. thank you very much. Those of you that are tuning in every week, we've got some exciting news. We are going to just about to take this podcast international. Uh, we've got some incredible guests uh, lined up from from LA, from London. Uh, we've, we can actually say this now. We've spoken to Eden Sassoon, who's going to be uh, coming on and bravely telling her story um, on the podcast. We are talking with an incredible author, um, women's health coach um, Sarah Rasbach. Sorry, Sarah Rusbach, who's written the book Beyond Booze. Um, she's come. She has a great quote. I've done a bit of research on her this week. It says, the goal isn't to be sober. It is to love yourself so much that you don't need to drink. I cannot wait to talk to her. Yeah. Um, we've got some incredible people, someone from LA that's got her own Netflix show, big, massive real estate agent, and um, who works in the media as well. So we've got lots of good yeah. things. Please leave us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Tell your friends. This is Straight Edge, the podcast. Thank you so much, Amy from Yorkshire. Thank You're you so welcome. much, Nick. And uh, <laughs> and we'll be back next Friday. Until then, stay safe and uh, cheers. It's been lovely. Take care. <laughs> cheers.